Gregory Gourdet is a James Beard Award nominee and two-time Top Chef finalist, as well as an all-star and a guest judge. He has been named Chef of the Year by Eater and one of the fittest chefs in America by Men's Health. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, raised in Queens, and is the son of Haitian immigrants. A self-proclaimed health freak and avid runner, Gourdet views food as a source of nourishment as well as one of pleasure. After graduating from the prestigious Culinary Institute of America, he became chef de cuisine for Jean-Georges Wagenrichten, under whom he trained for almost seven years. In 2008, Gourdet arrived in Portland, Oregon, where he led the Pan-Asian Kitchen at Departure Restaurant for a decade. His wood-fired Haitian restaurant, Khan, will open in Portland in 2022. He's also the author of a new cookbook, Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health. Gregory Gourdet, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. You know, when I first started this, I was like, you immediately came to mind as one of the guests I must secure. And I know that you have a very busy schedule. So early on, I think it was like episode, I don't know, two, three, four. I was like, Gregory, you must commit to be on my podcast at some point in your future. And you were so sweet. I think you're in the midst of like everything that was going on. You're like, yes, yes, but I'm just about to, you know, and I think then then I saw you were on this like uh, cr- a crazy trip all over the country. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I literally traveled all summer. I just got home. So I, I know you actually so. Well, it looked like it was a really fun summer, but you were also working like you're, you know, I used to say, and I think it's still true. I said hardest working man in show business, you know, like in Portland, like you were, you were the chef that was like at every event over you and you did like whatever the expectation was, you know, like it would be like one tasting, whatever you do three tastings. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> and you'd always be so kind. You would do charity events. And if there was anything that was, um, you know, of note, you were there. And so it was actually, it's really nice to see you be able to um, have some time away from the kitchen. I know you've always prioritized um, time outside of the kitchen, but it was fun just seeing you have fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, summer was insane. I mean, like we ended the uh, our winter village, our yurt pop up for Con Con Winter Village. We ended that in April, and then a week later, my book came out. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like just transitioning to that after we shut down the yurt village. That took some time. And then, you know, it was like a virtual book tour because of COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a couple of weeks of recording podcasts and, you know, virtual book events. And we did an event at Powell's and a couple of the national bookstores. But yeah, but my first invite out was to South Beach Wine and Food Fest. And that was at the uh, April, May. That was in May. So uh-huh. I went from being home for about 18 months straight without leaving the state straight to Miami. And we all know about Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy to see you with all these there. people with no masks on, right? Yeah, it was never existed there. So, so that was really interesting. But I mean, I was fully vaccinated and that was like mm-hmm. Delta. So like I felt fine. And it was kind of exciting to like actually be somewhere that was open. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that took me on a whirlwind of, you know, I recorded three episodes of TV shows in LA. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went on a fishing trip to Rhode Island. I was in Massachusetts. I did (laughs) New York City. Uh, I visited family in Atlanta. I went back to Florida to visit my parents. So that was really good. Uh, Mm -hmm. Back to New York City, uh, Philadelphia, D.C., 
uh, went to Kwame's Onwachi's uh, Food Festival Fan Reunion in Kenya. So that was really Mm -hmm. amazing. And just had a business meeting in Phoenix. So it's been it's, it's been pretty intense. And I'm finally back home for a little bit. I have a couple trips for the rest of the year. But yeah, I mean, it was really fun. I, I must admit, I love Portland during the summer, but I must admit, um, it was fun to be out of town. Oh, you know, after that lockdown, you know, where we couldn't go anywhere, really do anything, um, you know, it was refreshing just to be able to see. And I, I remember when the South Beach Food and Wine Festival came, uh, I wasn't there, but it, I was living vicariously through all these people. And I was like, yes, because it was, seemed like it was the, one of the first food fest, big food events. Yes. Um, you know, and to see all these people and they, everyone looks so happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it was my first time there and, you know, I, didn't it was i got invited last minute mm-hmm. to work with marcus's team marcus samus's team so i kind of just like jumped in and said sure but yeah it was really awesome to see so many people that we hadn't seen each other in forever and i don't think a lot of mm-hmm. us talked about going and you know it was like are you going you know like in normal times it was just like we all just ended up there and it was it was really cool I, like it was really good to see people yeah, well, it was nice to see. I'm sure they're very happy to have you because, you know, you are always a crowd favorite, fan favorite, you know? <laughs> uh, Ask anybody if when, if they know that, if they find out that I'm from Portland, they say, do you know Gregory Gorday? That's the question <laughs> I get probably asked more than any other chef, right? <laughs> oh, <that's nice. laughs> and then they ask me, they say, is he really that nice in person? <laughs> right. And I say, you know, shockingly, yes, yes. <laughs> You know, you kind of want to say, oh, no, it's just no, but it's true. I've had the I've had the pleasure. I was thinking about like when we first met the, today because I was like, oh, I feel like I've known Gregory a long time. And I, you know, I have all these um these baby pictures of you on my phone, it seems like from, <laughs> from your very early days at departure. But I, I think my first orientation was you when I was with um, Travel Oregon and they had invited you to be part of a campaign about Oregon Bounty. And there was a commercial where you were like frolicking in the fields, you know, and I think that was when we first met. And I think that was like in 2012. Is that possible? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because you were there for, you were there for how long? Nine years? Seven years? At departure? Yeah. A full 10 years. Oh, 10 years. (laughs) Well, it was, it was, you know, it was quite um, a special time. And I remember, um, yeah, you were always like such a great spokesperson for the state of Oregon because not only did you cook with all, you know, the best local ingredients, things that were wild and forage, but you also would on your weekends <laughs> go out and go like running in the trails. Like you always knew like the best places to run or hike. And, you know, it was like, you know, ha- ha- you don't see very many chefs actually going out there because they don't have the, you know, I feel like they're, they're, they're not always out there in the wilderness, but you know, I, I remember at one point we came over, we had you, we invited you to travel Oregon just to come and talk about your favorite hikes. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, you know, growing up in New York City, uh, I've always been a city kid, but at the same time, I actually left New York City pretty young. I went to boarding school in Delaware. So mm-hmm. I actually went to a school named St. Andrew's School, which if you've ever seen Dead Poet Society, it was filmed. At oh, my- really? <laughs> yeah, so pretty early on in my early teens, I left New York City and, you know, Queens and, you know, the urban jungle, which is New York City, mm-hmm. and went to this really beautiful, idyllic, remote location in Delaware with, like, you know, mm-hmm. 
great blue herons and cornfields. So I, I have always kind of enjoyed both the city and kind of more rural things. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and when I moved to Portland, you know, that was after about nine years in New York City again. Um, you know, I went to college in Montana, again, somewhere pretty low key and rural, beautiful. And I went back to New York City. I did two years at CIA and then seven years in the city. And that was pretty much a grind. So for me, you know, moving to Oregon and being able to have access to like Forest Park and the Gorge and, mm-hmm. you know, like I talk about in my book quite a bit, my my journey to health and my sobriety, you know, mm-hmm. and just really wanted to change so many aspects of my life. You know, I got sober in Oregon and, and I really wanted to change so many elements about myself. And it was just really perfect to be able to be outside and to go running outside and you know, even in something as simple as like the farmer's markets and, you know, we mm-hmm. have farmer's markets in New York City, but nothing quite to the grandeur and size that we have here. So, you know, like between like just hanging out at the farmer's markets and like running in Forest Park and the gorge, like I, I was having like the best time of my life when I moved right. here. Right. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, sure. it was so your story in the beginning of your book is so compelling. I feel like, why are why, you, your life is like a movie, <laughs> so dramatic, right? And then when you were in Missoula, you studied uh, wildlife biology, which was, I knew you had gone to med school. I know you had started on a path to uh, become a doctor at, at NYU. And then, you know, when you went to Missoula, I studied wildlife biology, which that I, that was news to me. <laughs> yes. So both of my parents worked in hospitals and mm-hmm. very classic immigrant story. You know, parents move here from said country. My parents moved here from Haiti mm-hmm. uh, in their early, excuse me, they're like mid twenties, mm-hmm. get married, have kids. They like just go to school the whole time. They work multiple jobs. So like, of course they want their kids to be like a doctor or a lawyer. And my parents worked in the medical profession. My dad was a chemist in mm-hmm. uh, hospitals throughout New York city. And my mom was a microbiologist in hospitals throughout New York city. So I just always had it in my head that I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. And that got me into pre-med at NYU. Mm-hmm. And it was really there that I kind of realized that, like, I really probably didn't have the commitment level to to get go through with all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I struggled with, like, chemistry and biology pretty hard. But I think the funny thing is that now there's so much chemistry and biology to, to cooking. Oh, I know. You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, and then, you know, also, like, after being in, in Montana for four years and having the best time of my life and, you know, mm-hmm. living in this beautiful small town and being back in New York city and commuting for two hours each way on the subway to go to school. I was like, Hey, I, I just actually, actually, so, so after like high school, mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, I, I actually want to live somewhere rural again. So I, I moved out to Montana. That's what happened. And mm-hmm. I thought I want to study wildlife biology um, because I've always con- been concerned about the environment and conservation yeah, makes sense. I was literally in college and school with like a bunch of cowboys studying barbed wire. And I was like, you know, actually, this <laughs> might, might be like, it may not be the right career choice for you. Too in depth for me. So, <laughs> so, so actually, that Montana was actually where I actually was feeding myself for the first time. I was actually like paying my own rent and, and feeding myself and having to, you know, shop for my own ingredients. So that's where I actually started cooking. Right. You know, like I actually yeah. never cooked when I was younger. So um, long story short, I was like, mom, dad, I want to go to culinary school. And they're like, well, no, like you're in like your second college, like you need to get a degree and, and then we can talk about culinary school. So I ended up getting a degree in French because I had a bunch of French credits. 
and getting out of there um, and then going to CIA. Right. And CIA, that's when you really kind of blossomed and, you know, really found your found your niche. You did really well in school. And then you work for Jean-Georges, Ron Richten, you know, I did, I did. one of the best chefs in the world um, at one of the best restaurants in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a truly amazing experience, you know. For me, culinary school was really the first time everything clicked. You know, like I really mm-hmm. enjoyed living in Montana and like I really enjoyed high school. Um, and, you know, I made some really lasting friendships that my one year at NYU, I met like one of my best friends there. Mm-hmm. That really opened up a world to, up to me. But CIA was really the first time academically, you know, school just really felt like it was there. I wanted to be. And, the material just felt amazing. I had so much fun cooking, you know, I would obsess mm-hmm. over my classes and, you know, I would, you know, find extra meat to double fortify my consomme. So my, <laughs> so like my, always an overachiever. <laughs> you know, just like even back then I was like trying to get as much flavor to my food as possible. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just it was, you know, I think having gone to college already that helped me just have a little bit more of a sense of maturity about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, CIA so was just really a tremendous experience. But, you know, going into to work in New York City, yeah, you know, like a three mushroom stars, you know, they 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 all three mushroom stars at a point and, and um, you know, four stars from New York Times, you know, um, that was the rating back then as well. You know, he was at the top of his game back then. You know, I I mean, I walked in day one. I, I had to relearn how to cut a shallot, you know, because that right. was yeah. That was there. And, you know, I think, you know, for me, I think a lot of oftentimes people have all these horror stories of fine dining establishments. And I really had an amazing time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it really instilled the work ethic in me, you know, even as an intern, you know, I, I did an externship there before I actually finished mm-hmm. school and got hired full time. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of responsibility put on you. I was, you know, working a stationary, even just as an extern. Um, and you know, the expectation was you just did your work and, you know, the level expertise was high and perfection was a standard and you were, you kind of had to self-manage yourself and just make sure you were managing your time and doing things properly. And, you know, that's, that really instilled like the work ethic that I have, you know, and it was a really tremendous learning experience and I'm so really close to my mentors there and I'm actually, you know, I communicate with them all the time. Like I just communicate from someone from that team today about some guidance for, for me and mm-hmm. you know my next steps with Khan. So it was really a tremendous experience and, you know, on the oh, element. Yeah. You know, I mean, that restaurant, I remember at the, when the, when, when at the, the time that you were, were oh, I have oh, some crazy, crazy feedback. feedback. Do, you, Do hear you hear it? No. Oh, I'm going to take off. Let's see if it's, no, is it better? Okay. So I'm just going to pause and then I'll pick up so that mm-hmm. I can cut that feedback out. Mm-hmm. So I remember at that time, Jean-Georges, because I was living in New York City at that time, really, yeah. the years that you were there, it was such an exciting place. Um, you know, I, I worked in fine dining too. I worked <laughs> I worked at Mercer Kitchen, which is one of his, yes. you know, yes, <laughs> one yes. of his restaurants. Yes. But we, we we share a mutual friend in Johnny Uzzini, who was the pastry chef at the time, I think mm-hmm. when you were there, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. He, yeah. was, he was the one who introduced me to uh, Gregor, who's father of my children and <laughs> all oh, that I, kind of stuff. I, but I would, um, just for fun, I would go work in the kitchen, you know, like on a Saturday, go work in the chocolate room or something like that. And um for people, like when they think about, there's such a difference when you work at a, a, a restaurant at that level, the cleanliness, the order, the discipline, 
the 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 we chef you know it's it's totally different than like kind of what you see on tv with people like throwing food and messy this and that it's i mean it's it's that precision i think that probably um left a huge impression on you but while this was happening which is really kind of um such a crazy story for you is like you were also living this double life you know, partying and drinking and doing drugs while still maintaining this kind of strict discipline in the kitchen. How, how did you manage that? Uh, well, I didn't manage it well at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did for a while, right? I you kind of had well, to, right? You know, well, my story with addiction, it's a slow burn. You know, mm -hmm. I have a seven year story with addiction, you know, pretty much the entire time I lived in New York City. You know, it started with, you know, being late for work, you know, mm -hmm. one year, one year into, you know, working at John George, um, I remember the first time I was late for work because I stayed up drinking the prior the night before mm -hmm. and I had to close the restaurant. It's called the Clopin when you close the restaurant and then you have to open the, a few hours later. Mm -hmm. and so you don't get a lot of sleep and I promised chef I was going home uh, and I literally left the restaurant opened my phone, probably had like a flip phone, like a razor back then. Of course. <laughs> and, <laughs> I have one too. <laughs> and, yeah, I just headed uptown and started partying and, and mm -hmm. got super drunk and fell asleep on my friend's couch and woke up super late for work. And that was really the first time I was late for work. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the next seven years, you know, it just slowly became more being late for work, more excuses why mm -hmm. I wasn't there, more partying, more staying up. You know, a few years in, I had I had a very, very bad cocaine habit, um, mm -hmm. including smoking cocaine, um, including smoking meth. So, you know, at one point I'd stay up for three days. That was really kind of like the end of my end. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I ended up crashing for a few days later, like everyone was looking for me. It was pretty bad. You know, that's probably like at my definitely my bottom as what we right. call addiction. You know, like the worst of the worst of what you're, you you go through, and yeah, I mean at the same time, you know, I still very close with my mentors there, and mm -hmm. I still worked, and I was still creating food, and you know, I was one of the first few chefs to be able to create recipes that were featured on the menus because prior to that, Jean-Georges and his team created all the menus. Mm -hmm. sure Greg Brainin, you know, he came on board and he kind of became the main recipe developer. You know, I've, I've, I had a couple of recipes got published in Jean-Georges cookbooks, you know, so, so I just did the thing, but like at the other end of that was me just being extremely unreliable. You know, you never knew when I was going to show up for work. So it was, it was like really bad. And I think, having stayed there for so long, they kept giving me so many chances, which I appreciate. Um, but, you know, I abused that relationship for sure. You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to be sober and I got to recover and I got to make amends to all of them and mm -hmm. have a really tremendous relationship. And, you know, everything that they all ever taught me, um, I've held on to, and I've been able to pass some of that information to younger cooks that have worked with me. So um, I think, you know, we always say, if you look back, you know, what would you change? And it's hard to say that I would change anything because all the experiences, you know, really made me the person who I am today. So who knows right. what happened if I didn't go through all of that, you know?
Yeah, that's true. You know, it's it's hard to imagine because people meet you now and you seem so pulled together and you know, healthy and you know happy oh, yeah. <laughs> that that you that it seems like it's hard to even imagine you um, living that kind of life. But we are so glad that you're still here because you know after the kind of horrific car accident you describe in your book, um, you're really lucky to be alive. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about the book. I mean, the book is Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health. And it's doing phenomenal. It's like I see it on all these like bestseller lists now. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. It is yeah. a beautiful book. Um, so let's, you know, your philosophy. I want to share a little bit of you. You can tell people kind of maybe who aren't familiar, like um, because it's not a health book. <laughs> it's, it's not like a healthy eating book, yet it is it's a very distinct perspective on food and how uh, I think that I was talking to somebody about this um, earlier about how, when people hear that food is healthy for you, they automatically think it's not going to be as delicious because you're taking away all the things that would make it delicious and Mm -hmm. just, just focusing on the health. Whereas Mm -hmm. anybody who's had anything you've made, it's so delicious. And, you know, and the fact that it has these um, thoughtful, that you you thoughtfully uh, made it healthier um, has something to do with like, and the end result is just delicious. And I think that's where your book is like very different from other books that it's just a cookbook, certainly for everyone. So how did you come up with um, the, the idea that you wanted to write this cookbook? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you know, I, I honestly don't really remember the day I woke up and I was like, Hey, I want to write a cookbook, but obviously that happened. Um, but <laughs> I want to slug away and do 200 yeah, recipes, but, prepare them all recipe. Yeah, them all. Or, or when I, you know, I felt ready to write a cookbook because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been asked to write a cookbook before and I just didn't think it was a good idea. But, um, I think for me, I really wanted to write a cookbook that was going to be impactful and helpful to people. And even Mm -hmm. if you had never been to any of my restaurants or if you had never seen me on TV, um, you could pick up the book and it would be useful. And that was really my goal. And I thought Mm -hmm. about what kind of unique perspective I could offer. And and the perspective was really what I ate and what I've been doing. And for me, as someone who's, you know, worked in so many different types of restaurants from French fine dining to Spanish restaurants Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, American cafes to, you know, my most recent post, which was a pan Asian concept, which was inspired by, you know, so many Asian, beautiful Asian cultures to my own Mm -hmm. cultural heritage. And, you know, like the recipes that my family made from and Haiti and, you know, the, the broader Caribbean diaspora. So it took all of those amazing cultures and all the amazing ingredients that those cultures offer us and all the rich history that those cultures have um, about how their food was developed and you know and my diet pairing that with Mm -hmm. my diet and you know part of me getting sober and part of my recovery was kind of changing the way i ate and like getting healthy and you know i lost a bunch of weight because you know you just kind of want to get healthy um as an avid runner which i was and you know so i you know i've been gluten and dairy free uh and processed food free for you know about 12 years and, you know, th- my diet is based off a of paleo diet. So, you know, I, I eat limited grains, legumes. Uh, I watch my soy intake and uh, I try to focus on less processed sugars, unrefined sugars. So that really was the foundation for the book. And mm-hmm. the thing is, so, you know, 
Portland, Oregon, you know, we have so many dietary distinctions here within diners and, you know, having worked somewhere where we literally serve like, we've served over like a million people, uh, like my last post. So like we, we literally had 11 types of menus for vegan menu, gluten-free menu. We had a paleo menu. We had a nut-free menu. We had a shellfish-free <laughs> menu. You know, so I'm very Sounds like Portland. <laughs> yeah. I'm very comfortable working within dietary distinctions. So I really mm-hmm. wanted to create a book that, you know, part of the reason why I call it everyone's table is that anyone who eats at your table or like a broader group of people who eat at your table can enjoy recipes from the book. So if, you know, your niece is vegan or if your uncle is gluten free um, or if anyone is just wanting to eat better, you know, you can use the book. And if you're not on any diets whatsoever, you can still use the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the feedback that I've been getting is, is really this amazing mix of, you know, people who are just foodies, you know, um, they've had my food, um, they're, they're adventurous people. They love bold flavors. They love cultural dishes and they're just cooking from the book and, you know, but I mean, I'm getting tons of feedback from people who are specifically on specific diets. They can't have grains, they can't have soy, um, and are, you know, someone is just recovering from a certain procedure and you know or a health ailment and the doctor has recommended that they cut out gluten or dairy and they're mm-hmm. so grateful for the book and I, it's really special to me that everyone can appreciate the book no matter what diet you're on right and and have really delicious recipes because- yes and yeah and from a chef <laughs> perspective for me you know it has to be delicious you know like even mm-hmm. if it's healthy you know there's so many great ways to add flavor to foods that don't involve you know, adding a bunch of saturated fat or, you know, relying on gluten um, and, you know, relying, you know, on probably some processed ingredients and artificial ingredients and all that stuff. So, you know, as a chef, that's something I work with every day. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, like making your own homemade curry paste and, you know, how to properly use fish sauce and like everyday sauces and, you know, how to roast things and char things and use your broiler to impart flavor Mm-hmm. You know, how to, you know, pull in some of the great sauces from all over the world, like, you know, jerk. There's a jerk recipe in there. Um, it's a cauliflower recipe that's inspired by Jamaican jerk spices and, um, you know, Haitian all-purpose seasoning a piece, using that to marinate fish and make mm-hmm. stews. So there's so many great ways to add flavor to food that doesn't involve, you know, an unhealthy process. And these things are already existing um, in, in beautiful dishes all around the world. So my book is a small collection of those things. Right. And lots of helpful tips, um, techniques, very uh, simply explained uh, common language. I like that the recipes are not overwhelming. Sometimes you get these chef written books, you know, from restaurants and you don't really want to make anything from it because there's like day yeah. one, day one, <laughs> day yeah. two, you know, because yeah. they're basically like recreating, they're writing the recipes that they would do in a restaurant where you have a team of people and you're also making, you know, all this prep for like service for like, you know, 200 portions or something. So you can, you can devote that much time for step one, whereas this is, you know, trying to get, just get meal on the table for tonight, you know? So I like that the fact that you don't have a jillion ingredients and that it's it's all yeah. very manageable. Yeah. The book was 100% designed for the home cook. That was extremely important to me. Right. And, you know, working with JJ Good, who's a tremendous writer, he really helped me hone that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he has a really great sense of step by step. And like even, even in the beginning when we started working together and I would present these recipes. And, you know, to me, it looks like a very simple recipe, but, you know, in actuality, if they hit the book printed, it would they would have been like three page recipes. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I have like the protein and the vegetable and the sauce or the pickle and 
you know, that's how I come up with it. So <laughs> that's actually why this, the, the, the end of the book is so long. That's why the sauce chapter is so long. Um, right. Those are preserves and ferments chapter is so long mm-hmm. because we pulled these out of the original recipes. But the great part is you can make all those things ahead, you know, and you yeah. can make extra mm-hmm. and you can use them for different things. So I always tell people when working from the book, you know, make those sauces, make those pickles, make those dressings, keep that stuff in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like on Tuesday when you're busy and you just want to get dinner on the table, you know, roast some chicken and, and you already have some throw a salad together and you have all these great condiments in your fridge that you can kind of dress things up and you're ready to go. And right. Yeah, I think it's very clever that you did that. I mean, it's very helpful. And, you, you know, they all, all those uh, sauces and kind of condiments and additional additions um, are just like great things to have. And you can incorporate that into your own cooking too. So absolutely. And I saw when you were actually working on this book, because, you know, you would, <laughs> on your social, you would, the process. It was so much work. I mean, so much work. I see that you had, um, I would see you testing the recipes over and over um, and having other people test them too. I, I There's somebody locally who I know yeah. was testing your recipes and it was so fun to see because her results looked awesome, you know? Yeah, that's the best part where seeing people actually make the recipes. Yeah, I mean, it was, we had six recipe testers actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had three on full time. Uh, we had two full time and the workload got so intense that, you know, when it came to crunch time the last few months, we hired four to just kind of help us and get, get through it. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you know, just making sure that the recipes work, that was something that was really important to us. And I think for the most part, people have been extremely successful. And mm-hmm. I mean, I personally think that's a really important mark of a book that a, it's easy to follow. Um, B, you know, there are definitely some specialty ingredients in this book, but I, I encourage people to read the pantry mm-hmm. um, because the pantry tells you exactly how to shop for these ingredients, how to store for them um, and see, making sure that the recipes work. And and I think we were successful with that as well. Yeah. Because there are some specialty ingredients in the book and you may not have these in your pantry already, but the fact that um, once you get them and they're all things, you, know, you can get them online or you can go, you know, yeah. go to uh, different markets, but once you get them, you'll see those ingredients um, used in several different recipes. So once you, once you have a kind of a stock pantry of the kind of the staples uh, in your book, you can make multiple recipes. You can make lots of different things. So it doesn't, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, you know, people ask like, how, where do I find this? Where do I find that? But, you know, like, like tips, like, you know, like if you want the good coconut milk, you know, maybe you have to go to like, you know, an Asian grocer in your neighborhood. And like, mm-hmm. I literally stock up, you know, they're like maybe two, $3 a carton. You know, my mm-hmm. favorite brand is Roy D. You know, like I have, you know, 10 cartons, you know, in my pantry right now. So I'm just ready to go at any time, you know, yeah. Chai chilies. Sometimes it's like, I can't find fresh Thai chilies in a lot of grocery stores in town. So I go to Asian grocers and mm-hmm. I keep them in the freezer, you know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like scotch bonnets as well, you know, cause I just buy them in bulk and it's cheaper. And, you know, so there's like little tips and tricks throughout the book to help you, you know, preserve these ingredients and, mm-hmm. you know, just, just having them. So you're ready to go whenever you want to cook from the book. Yeah. Well, Let's talk about when you were um, a kid, because you <laughs> you grew up in New York City. You're born in you know, Queens, right? Or do you born in Queens? I, I, was, I, I was actually born in Brooklyn. Bro- born in- oh, born in Brooklyn. All right. <laughs> and then uh, grew up in Queens. And 
That must have been such a fun. I, I like how you describe it that your neighborhood was like past the last stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was so far. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because uh, sometimes when you, I remember going to Queens to, you know, to mostly to eat, and you'd be on this train for like forever. And then you think people live beyond the train. What do you happens when you're beyond the last stop? And that's that, that was you, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. You you were always surrounded by um, you know relatives and the Haitian community, and it, it was so nice um, to see you bring some of that culture, your background to your, your last project when you did Con Winter Village. Because I don't think a lot of people you know have had the pleasure of um, having Haitian cuisine, and it was for me it was it was so. Um, flavorful and it was nice to have a little bit of heat you know i feel like so many times like the, the things are, are people are afraid to add a little spice to things mm -hmm. um but yeah what was it like growing up i mean you did you have people around you cooking i know you your mom cooked quite a bit yeah so i mean i had a very very lucky childhood and i'm really grateful for it and you know i was i the odd thing is like i was so taken care of even though my parents worked like literally multiple jobs throughout all of New York city, you know, like from the Bronx to Brooklyn, like they just mm -hmm. worked where they had to, you know? Um, but you know, we were always taken care of, like my mom, like always cooked. We, she always had dinner on the table. She <laughs> mm -hmm. always made us breakfast. Oftentimes, like all the time it was like Haitian breakfast. It was like, you know, Haitian style oatmeal and Haitian style, you know, kind of corn porridge or rice porridge with like evaporated milk and a little sugar and like cinnamon and star anise and Haitian vanilla. Oh, that sounds delicious. Chocolate <laughs> with like toast and butter. Um, there's a Haitian spaghetti dish, which is like spaghetti and ketchup and hot dogs, actually, which is like a very traditional Haitian breakfast, um, which is quite unique. Um, but yeah, you know, if not that, you know, our aunts would, you know, be watching us or, you know, our grandmothers would come visit and watch us. So, you know, to the point that I, I just never cooked when I was younger, you know, I was always reading books or mm -hmm. playing sports or, you know, whatever, but, <laughs> but you were know, always surrounded by, you know, food. By food, you yeah. know, and, you know, like, it's also a, a story of the immigrant, you know, like your home becomes a hub of, you know, other relatives coming to visit, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we transitioned so many of my, you know, younger cousins into the States and they started high school here or, you know, a lot of my other cousins, they, they moved here for college and, you know, or, you know, my aunt, she would, you know, come visit and, you know, a lot of relatives would come shop for things here for their stores in Haiti. And, mm -hmm. you know, they bring just suitcases full of, you know, like I talk about this in the book, <laughs> like spices, and pickles, which is like a, one of my favorite condiments. It's a oh, it's delicious, right? <laughs> hot pickle of cabbage and, and scotch bonnet chilies, um, Haitian vanilla, Haitian spices, cinnamon, star anise, you know, Haitian brittle, lots of cashew brittle, coconut candies, Haitian fudge. So you know, suitcases full of this stuff, and <laughs> you know, I just remember this the smell of the spice cabinet. And, you know, having these awesome ingredients and, you know, like, you know, our world is like literally like eating Haitian food, like all the time, you okay. know, and, you know, like to the point where, you know, my mom would bake a little Betty Crocker cake mix cake, but she'd add, you know, a little bit more flour. Mm -hmm. She'd add a little Haitian vanilla. She'd grate in some nutmeg. You know, we'd <laughs> I love it. Add our spices to, you know, some of the American dishes that we were eating. But, you know, it was literally rice and beans and stewed chicken and fried plantains and root vegetables. Um, those are kind of all the things that I grew up eating. 
You know, it's so nice that you have these memories. And you said you you said early on, you said, um, I was very lucky to have had a lucky childhood, like a good childhood like that. And there is a quote, I can't remember who said it at this point, but um, but it's the quote is like uh, one of the luckiest um, things you can have in life is a happy childhood, because no, no matter what happens in your life as an adult, you can have this all sorts of shitty things happen to you. <laughs> but if you have a happy childhood, it gives you kind of that resilience and the fortitude that you need to kind of um, pull through. And I feel like maybe that was part of the what helped you, you know, find your path. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, my struggle with addiction is really a self-afflicted thing. And, you know, like obviously I have addictive personality, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I think I, I, I clearly, I, yes, there's a, a sense of addiction as being hereditary, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm the first addict in my family. So like, mm -hmm. it was really something that I inflicted upon myself, but you know, I think for me, you know, having examples like my parents and, you know, having this vision of like living better, you know, it was a very easy decision when I finally got sober, like as mm -hmm. to what I wanted to do and, and what type of person I wanted to be because I had really great examples all around me. You know, right. I, I took myself off the right path and, you know, my parents were always so loving. They've always been extremely supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, they had, I think for them it was really challenging because, you know, they just didn't understand addiction and neither did I, and neither did a lot of my friends, mm -hmm. you know, um, because like, even when I was in rehab, you know, I, I briefly went to rehab in New York city and like, even my friends were like, you need to go to rehab. You know, when I was in rehab, they're like, let's party, you know? So it's mm. like, no one really understands a lot of this stuff, you know? And it took me finally getting sober and, you know, explaining things to like my family and learning more about addiction and, and being in AA and, and just like really getting a grasp of things. But, you know, for me, I've always had this like esteem for my parents and how hard they worked and working multiple jobs and doing everything they could to send us to Catholic school and mm -hmm. boarding school and whatever college I wanted to go to. And, you know, just making every single end meet so that was possible. So, you know, having that, I'm extremely grateful because I know um, not a lot of people have that in this world. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something that motivates me every single day. Right. Well, they should be very proud. I know I know your parents are amazing and you <laughs> you talk about them a lot because they obviously have a great influence on you. Um, what do they eat? Do they eat this the same kind of lifestyle and yeah. food? Uh, you? Well, they've always kind of like been healthy in their mm -hmm. own way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually something I don't really think about that often. But yeah, I mean, they've actually always been healthy. My father's always been like very healthy. Um, I mean, granted, they both work in, in the hospitals, you know, the medical profession. So, you know, um, they love to eat light. Um, my dad still works out for like two hours with, he has a personal trainer. He's like almost 80 years old. He's looking, he looks fantastic right now, <laughs> but they, they, um, they aren't the most adventurous food people on their own, but they absolutely love everything. So mm -hmm. you can put anything in front of them and they'll absolutely get in there and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And, um, my mom just actually started cooking from the book. So it's actually fun to watch her cook from the book. She sent me oh. pictures. Oh, she's that's just, great. I know, how, she's she's like, how do I do Gregory? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's like so amazing. <laughs> um, but no, but they eat everything, but, um, they're, they're definitely kind of like 
health conscious in the sense that they don't like to overeat and mm-hmm. they like to feel good and feel healthy as well. Right. I know you say something in the book that's really nice. And that's, you know, yes, these are, you know, when you choose to when you're cooking for yourself, or, you know, when you when you're choosing what you eat, this is what you're eating. But also when you travel, for example, you know, it's so much of um, food is the culture and it's people, uh, it's, it's very, it's a very giving thing when somebody prepares a meal for you. And that you're not going to turn down something that somebody's made for you, or if it's, you know, especially if they don't have a lot and they're giving you something special that they're very proud of, that it might give you a little bit of a tummy ache or whatever, but you're going to take it because it's, it's a gift. And I think that's really nice. It says something about appreciating different people's differences and cultures and learning from um, food because it is so much of an extension of um, the people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, a lot of conversation about, you know, like using global ingredients and cultural appropriation and just like having a global pantry, you know, I think in representation in food, you know, I think it's food is the best way for us to learn about each other, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but that takes respect, you know, like I think, so that was really important for us in the book and just making sure that, you know, when we talk about cultural references, we talk about the history, you know, we talk about, you know, how this certain spice mix made its way to, you know, why is there curry in Japan? You know, we talk mm-hmm. about that in the book. Like, why is there, you know, soy sauce in jerk? We talk about that in the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these cultural references, you know, and, you know, from where we found watermelon curry and, you know, wh- wh- how have Muslim influenced Thai cuisines, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the dish that represents that. So, um, I think, you know, just understanding the culture behind some of these ingredients, these dishes, how these foods became to be, I think that's extremely important. And I think that's, for me, I think that's one of the most fascinating parts about food. It's the cultural mm-hmm. lesson behind it and the history right. lesson behind it. And, you know, I love just talking about, you know, the history of how ingredients originated or made their way across the world. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, is, I think is there some place you haven't been that you'd love to go? Like oh, on man. a food trip? <laughs> there are so many places that I haven't been. I haven't been to India. I'm like, oh yeah, oh. that'd be amazing. Yeah, I haven't been to Africa. I'm actually going to Morocco um, in October of next year with Modern Adventures. But oh, I saw that. Yeah, you're going. You're t- you're you're like the uh, chef host, right? Indeed. <laughs> You know, in, in a perfect world, I'll be, um, I'd love to zip down to West Africa um, oh, yeah. and do a, a, a week um, of touring, you know, that the part of Africa mm-hmm. um, after that trip, since I'm going to be over there. But yeah, I think um, Africa and India are probably number one and number two as places that I want to visit for culinary exploration. Right. People out there, um, if you know of opportunity to send Gregory, I'm sure there's some sponsors who would love to work with you. <laughs> but yeah, that would be such a cool thing to be able to eat. And, you know, I know you're cooking foods from using those spices. And but, it, you know, it's always different when you can see kind of where they're grown and how they're harvested and how they're prepared in the native country, which is, you know, not great. Yeah. And you're a big fan of uh, uh, Thailand, right? And Thai food. Uh, yes, yes. Like, yeah, I love Thai food. And I think, you know, growing up with Haitian flavors, I think I think it's a, it's just like a tropical ingredient thing, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I think while the, the cuisines are completely different, I think we do share a lot of the same ingredients from coconuts and, you know, hot chilies and lots of herbs and limes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we yeah, have I see all, the similarities. We have, yeah, we have all those things in Haiti and I... I 
some of the same fruits. So I think that's kind of like what kind of like has kind of made me love Thai food and just Southeast Asian flavors in, in, in general, because right. a lot of the sharing of the same ingredients, even though a lot of the preparations are completely different, of course, um, from we- country to country. When you travel, do you, are you that person? Do you bring things back in your suitcase? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm packing like, you know, Dorian jelly and. <laughs> I know. Oh, absolutely. Oh, how fun. And do you have a favorite kitchen tool or do you like um, things in particular? Like as far um, as tools or what do you think people need to have, you know? Or so what do you like? I always tell everyone. So my big thing is grinding your own spices. That's one of the things that mm. I talk about quite a bit. And I think it's really one of the easiest ways to boost the flavor in your foods and whole spices. They just last longer. They taste better. And I just use a $20 grinder. It's probably even cheaper on Amazon, a little coffee grinder. Like oh yeah. Just bucks. those little, those yeah. kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to toast my spices and then just give them a quick grind. Mm. And it's just adds so much more depth and flavor. Um, cinnamon sticks, you know, I'm a big, like I have a thing about ground cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love just fresh <laughs> grinding things, a little microplane or a rasp and just fresh grinding cinnamon. Um, and, you know, oftentimes I grind a little bit extra, you mm-hmm. know, so if I need to make a little spice mix or a little spice rub for something, um, garam masala and make that quite a bit, just make a little bit extra. Um, just keep it in an airtight container and you can guarantee that that will be fresher and have more flavor than anything you purchase at the store. Yeah, for sure. I'm waiting for the Gregor Gaudet spice collections, so, <laughs> right? So what are you working on? I know you're, oh, you always have um, really cool projects going on. Where can we, and also for all the people who are like dying to eat your food, like, are you going to pop up someplace <laughs> anytime soon? Um, so yeah, I think honestly, we are working on trying to open the restaurant early next year. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any more information about that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But all will be revealed in time. But right. you know, that's really my 100% razor focus right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we'll be popping up anytime soon. We might do a couple, maybe one or two events, uh, but mm-hmm. nothing too permanent or semi-permanent mm-hmm. for now. Um, yeah, we're just razor focused on trying to get the restaurant open. And hopefully early next spring, um, we should be able to do so. So um, everyone's just going to have to hold tight just a little longer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it'll be in Portland, right? Yes, it'll be yes, in Portland. Yeah. Well, people are so excited. I know that, um, you know, when you, when you, whenever you show up, people like there's always any event or whatever. <laughs> see the see the line. That's where all this Gregory's line. <laughs> <laughs> so flavorful. Well, if you haven't had Gregory's food, you best you basically should look for it. But get the cookbook. Um, I have it, and it's beautiful. I'm so inspired by it. And um, if you if for someone who just got the book, um, what are some recipes? that you think would be good to start off? I know you were talking to Gary the Foodie. By the way, Gary the Foodie is a local, um, he's local, meaning he lives here, but he travels all over the world, eats at all the best restaurants. He's a mutual friend of ours. And I so much love during the pandemic when you should show up on Gary the Foodie's lawn and cook him this amazing meal, (laughs) (laughs) just like, you know, on the sidewalk with like a little stove. Well, Gary's like been to like literally the best restaurants in the world. So he even really though we're has. friends and like it's a casual dinner on his burnt lawn. <laughs> I know. I just love it. a lot it. of pressure to impress him, you know? Oh, I know. <laughs> He's got a very refined palate. But I would yeah. joke, I'd say, oh, that's the 
the that's the most uh, the hardest <laughs> ticket to get in town is to get invited to uh, Gary the Foodie's lawn and have Gregor Gaudet cooking for you. You know, yeah, all you want is like some good feedback from Gary the Foodie. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, folks should follow you on Instagram too. I was going to ask you, did you add a few more zeros to your account? So Gigi. No. No, it's, it's it's always had that many zeros. 30, 30,000. <laughs> is there a is there a significance to the 30,000? Um no, not, I don't know. My mentor I, I think my mentor had an email which was like his initials in 4,000 and then I just started thinking about Andre 3,000. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love outcast. <laughs> um and I think it's just a combination of that and just trying to like be a little bit extra so i added a zero <laughs> all right okay because i in my mind i always thought it as uh gg3000 and then i looked yeah. at it the other day and i was like damn just some extra zeros out on there but um <laughs> anyway you guys should all follow um gg3 30,000 on instagram to find out what the latest is and everyone go check out um his book everyone's table global recipes yeah. for modern health you can get it pretty much anywhere but you know anywhere. i know you're very very um adamant about try to purchase from your local bookstores right support your local yeah, bookstores like if you all just give me like a couple weeks i do know that powell's will have signed copies again all um, right i'm currently signing them so give them a couple weeks to just redistribute them um but there will be more signed copies of powell's in the very very soon future um, I think by the end of the month, maybe October, um, there'll be more fresh signed copies of Powell's. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gregory, yeah. so oh, much for joining. The book also has its own Instagram account. It's called um, Everyone's Table Cookbook. And there are tons of images from the book. And we take comments there. And uh, I've also been posting some videos cooking from the book, both on my personal page and on the book's page as well. So you can see some some abbreviated step-by-steps um, if you need some tips and tricks how to cook through the book. Yeah, always it's always fun to watch you cook. You always make things um, seem so easy, but I appreciate, again, how well... Um, how well the recipes are um, organized and written. <laughs> and this is the photography so beautiful. I, we didn't uh, talk yes. about any of the photography, but yes. wow. Uh, Eva Cosmos Flores, she's a local photographer. She's an amazing mm -hmm. person. She did a fantastic job. I was really attracted to her um, by her use of color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her normal style is um, very, very detailed. Um, she gets a lot in her images and we work on a little bit of a different style for the cookbook. And I just think she, she, she just hit it out the park. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. But your food is always beautiful, by the way. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had most photographic food. It's like, you can make a, pr a plate of brown something like so delectable looking <laughs> which is not a, not an easy thing right you know yeah sometimes yeah. sometimes food is brown but uh you seem to manage to make it look delicious so yeah. um well thank you gregory again this is Absolutely. episode 21 food people are the best people and i think you definitely demonstrate that <laughs> uh, thank you thanks for having me appreciate it great to talk to you